ora, Fano. Lovely to be with you in the room and lovely to be with you online on this Matariki weekend. And I wanted to begin this morning, um, thanks to Nicole, we're jumping around in the slides this morning, but she'll probably be used to me by the time we've finished. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about Matariki. Uh, if you live in the Waikato, it's been a little bit... Anyone seen the star cluster in the Waikato skies? It's been a bit hard. You saw them, well done. It's been pretty cloudy, hasn't and difficult to see because they're in the eastern sky and you see them in the early morning. So that makes it difficult when I was looking in the evening sky. <laughs> and um, they're a cluster of stars that are celebrated by indigenous people all over the world, um, signifying the beginning um, of a new year. And I was thinking of that scripture about the heavens display the glory of God. And so I just wanted to just uh, three simple reflections around Matariki uh, for us this morning. And thanks to Pastor Simon Moitara who really helped put this together. But the first aspect of Matariki is to remember. And so we're going to pray in a moment and then I'm going to give you 30 seconds to pray for yourself. Now it's going to seem like an eternity. I promise you that Bible is, the time has only stopped twice in the Bible that I'm aware of, and I'm not thinking that this morning is going to be a third time. So it's okay, you can trust me for 30 seconds. Um, but we remember people who have been sig significant in our lives. We remember with Robin and others who have lost loved ones in the last year. We remember that we are not just ourselves, but we're, we're Fano, we're part of a community. We remember those who have sacrificed and gone before that we can be here today. Those who have shaped and molded our lives. Those who have prayed for us. Those who have nurtured us. Those who have encouraged us. And so it's a time of reflection, a, a time to remember. And it's good to remember people, isn't it? It's good to remember people while they're still alive. I can't think of the times when I've been to a funeral and I've remembered this person. I thought, oh my goodness, Michael. I wish I'd actually said some of these things to this person when they were alive. I think of my mum and I think, gosh, I wish I'd asked her stuff about her, her parents, you know, her mum and dad and their grandparents. Because now that, that knowledge is gone, right? And it's like, mum, I should have asked you that question. She's probably looking down from heaven saying, yes, son, you should have. <laughs> so I'd love to lead us in prayer just briefly. And then I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Trust me for 30 seconds. I'll be watching the clock. You don't need to. Uh, and just allow the Holy Spirit to bring people to remembrance um, that you want to give thanks for. I mean, some of those memories may be painful memories, and that's okay. And maybe you need to just trust God with that pain or those unresolved uh, situations that you're facing. So let's pray. Lord, in the room and online this morning, Lord, we thank you for the last year. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness in the good times and the difficult times. Lord, we thank you that we're not here just in isolation, but we thank you for, for parents and for grandparents, for aunts and uncles, for those who have been significant in our lives, who have prayed for us, who have nurtured us, who have encouraged us, who have helped to mold us and to make us to be the people that we are today. And so, Lord, we pause to say thank you that we are better people because of knowing them and the input they've had into our lives. And Lord, we bring people to you now that, that we're remembering, that we're grateful for over the last year. So take an opportunity to do that over this next 30 seconds.
Amen. Did it seem a long time? Are you okay? You're all good. It's also a time to celebrate. Um, over Matariki, Gillian and I had great expectation because we were harvesting the kumra crop um, out where we live. For some of you may not know, but I used to be an orchardist and I enjoy growing anything that you can eat. If it's beautiful, that's a bonus, but if it's beautiful and you can eat it, that's fantastic. So kumara comes into that category. Not only beautiful, but delicious to eat. Last year, um, I ride on mower, which becomes the tractor when it's not mowing. The, um, the trailer was just nearly full. Is that an exaggeration? Nearly full of kumara. So there was great expectation as we came to the crop. And we put in the fork and dug them up. And you know what we found? Rotten kumara. It shouldn't be a surprise in the Waikato. I think we've nearly had our whole annual rainfall, haven't we? And it's only halfway through the year. But fortunately, we also grew this year Māori potatoes. Wonderful crop of Māori potatoes. I was saying at the 9am past assignment that they even taste smoky, which I don't think is possible. I think my mind is doing tricks to me, and I'm just imagining them coming out of the hangi, and even though I'm just putting them on the stovetop hangi, they have that smoky flavour. I think that's probably just Michael but a wonderful crop of Māori potatoes for which we are grateful. So it's a chance to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness. And, you know, the thing in horticulture is you never get everything right in the garden in one year. I thought, man, what would it happen if everything in the garden was perfect? I thought, probably I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> so uh, it's not going to happen this side of eternity, right? And it's like that in our lives. There's no such thing as a perfect year. This year will have had highs and it will have had lows for you. It will have had joys and it will have had sorrows for you. But in the midst of all of that, we take time to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness. We're still sitting, right? Online, you're still sitting? You're still breathing? Your heart's still beating? Anyone not sure about that? <laughs> we need an ambulance officer to take that person out. We need a first responder, don't we? So let's pause and just say thank you to God and celebrate his goodness and faithfulness in our lives. And then I'm going to give you another 30 seconds and just see what Holy Spirit brings to mind, things that you want to celebrate and give thanks for over the last year. Lord, thank you for this last 12 months. I can think of 12 months ago, I had COVID on my birthday. <laughs> and um, I thank you, Lord, that I got to have my birthday a month later and I made it last a month instead of a week. So, Lord, thank you for that for me. Thank you, Lord, collectively for your goodness and faithfulness to us in the room, that we are here, Lord, that we're in love with you, that we're on this journey with Jesus, that we're supporting and encouraging one another. Thank you for those who are online, that technology enables us to connect like we are. And thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to those people. So in this next 30 seconds, just bring to God things that you would like to celebrate in your life over the last 12 months. Amen? That's a minute, guys. You're doing well. Excellent. 
The third thing that we want to do is to plan. You know, what's the next 12 months going to look like? I said to Gillian after we'd, we'd harvested those kumara, and we even tried to cook, well, Gillian tried to cook some of them up, and then we tasted them afterwards, and they were disgusting. So I had to put them in the, in the, in the compost. We'll recycle them. That was their only redeeming feature. But, but what is it you're believing for in the next 12 months? I said to Gillian after that, we're never going to grow kumara again. And then I thought... Actually, maybe we will grow kumara again, just a different spot where there's better drainage, perhaps, <laughs> and we'll try again. But what does the next 12 months look like for you? What are you, what are you, um, I was thinking of like, what does a bright future look like for you, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically? What are your dreams? Maybe you're saying, Michael, I don't have any dreams. Well, maybe this time to pray might be, God, would you start to cultivate in me, you know, a dream for the future, some hopes, some aspirations of what you're going to do in these next 12 months. So I'd love to pray for us corporately together again, and then this is our last 30-second slot. You've done well. Um, just see what Holy Spirit brings to mind. If you don't have anything, just ask God, you know, over the next weeks and months, Lord, would you start to give me um, a dream, a hope, aspiration for the future of what my life looks like and what you want me to do in this next year. So Lord, we thank you for the year ahead. We thank you for the potential. We thank you for the friendships. We thank you for the connections. We thank you, Lord, for people's lives that we can be a part of and help them take a step towards their journey to faith in Jesus. We thank you for people that we're going to be able to celebrate with and do life with. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness we're going to experience. We thank you that in the difficult times, Lord, we know that it's not just up to us, but you're with us on that journey and we can be there for one another. Lord, I pray for a bright year ahead for people online and people in the room physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that they would see your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, I pray in the next 12 months, would you bless us to be a blessing to those in the world in which we live, I pray in Jesus' name. Okay, in these next 30 seconds, what's the next 12 months look like for you? Just see what Holy Spirit brings to mind and pray into that area. Amen. Well done. And give yourself a clap. <laughs> or give Jesus a clap. Thank you online for being part of that. I hope that you did that. You didn't sneak off and make a cup of tea or anything. I trust you. I want to talk this morning about a concept. Um, in this Closer series, we've been talking about the importance of prayer. And it's come up again and again. And I think most of us would acknowledge the importance of prayer. You know, when Jesus started his public ministry... He went into the wilderness for 40 days and he prayed, didn't he? And then before he went to the cross, we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, um, and there he prayed. And we see Jesus in different times and different places, connecting with his Father in different ways. And I want to introduce the concept this morning. And I only had the opportunity to introduce it. And then, I'm sorry, there's homework. Are you still allowed to give homework if you're a teacher? Teachers, are you still allowed to give homework? Is that, is that a thing? Well, we're having homework. So homework is, you know, to do some further research. I want to enjoy, uh, introduce the concept of sacred pathways 
Um, this was a coined phrase by Gary Thomas, who wrote a book called Sacred Pathways. You can get a copy, I'm sure, from Mana Christian stores, a little advertisement for them, because if, if we don't use them, we'll lose them. Um, or if you want a digital version, you can go to Kindle and get a copy of Sacred Pathways, like I did, for $16.58 New Zealand dollars. So um, that could be your little matariki present to yourself. And um, it's always through Jesus, right? We're talking about how do you connect to Jesus, but sometimes you're wired in different ways. And sometimes just some understanding about that can make it easy for, easier for you to pray. I remember going to a Change the World School Day of Prayer. I'm an orchardist, right? So I'm up at 6 o'clock in the morning. And Change the World School Day of Prayer, we were to pray an hour each day. And so I'm up now at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. Or probably up at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I'm sitting in the chair in the lounge. And it's not long before... And then alarm goes off and it's 6 o'clock and I just feel such a failure. You know, I thought of Jesus who said to his disciples, can't you even pray for one hour? I said, sorry, Lord. And I, I just learned that five o'clock in the morning in a chair is not a good time unless I'm waiting on the Lord for a vision. Um, it's not a good way for me to pray. And it started a journey about thinking about how am I wired to pray. And so I hope that you'll find this helpful. We'll go through as many of these as we can and then homework, leave you to, to kind of fill out the rest because the, probably the one that you want is the one I'm not going to talk about, right? It's always the way that it works. So thanks, Nicole. The first one is naturalists. Now, naturalists love being outdoors, and their catch fry is, let me be outdoors. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 23 says that God leads us beside still waters, restoring our soul. And Jesus often said to his disciples, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. You know, in the, in the beauty of creation, you, if you're wired this way, you sense something of the splendor and the majesty and the awesomeness of God. I remember when I was 25, standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and just looking out, and the sun was coming up and thinking, wow, you're the, you really are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And in that moment, I seemed incredibly small, and God seemed incredibly big. Or I remember on the, um, in Wellington, going on the, um, the southern coast, the southerly coming in, and the wind and the waves breaking, and you're kind of leaning into the wind, right? And it's just holding you there, and thunder and lightning, and thinking, man, if I get hit by lightning, I'm going straight to heaven. And thinking in that moment, God, you're amazing. You're so powerful. You're so awesome. So people that are wired this way, you know, and I, and I learned over time, five o'clock in the morning, don't sit me in a chair because I'll be waiting on the Lord for a vision. I'm better to be out walking. You know, I'm better to be in creation. I often say, five o'clock in the morning, I should be in a trout fishing river with my rod up. You know, the sun's just coming up. The um, piwaka waka are just fluttering through and say, Lord, here I am. Speak to me or let me catch a trout in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, that's a good place for me to hear from Jesus. What does that look like for you? My favorite time on the orchard, as I was an orchardist, was you know, when the staff had gone and the dust had settled and the sun was just beginning to set, walking with God in the stillness of the orchard and feel that God was walking with me. That's the way I'm connected. Now, for some of you, that would be your worst nightmare. You know, walking in a garden. Oh, I can't think of anything worse. Walking in a supermarket, that's much better where you can just pick the vegetables off the, off the um, shelves, right? We're all wired differently. But if you're wired this way, can I encourage you to explore what that actually looks like for you? Because right. God created you in that way. And God wants to connect with you in that way. Remember, the creation points to the creator. So I'm not worshipping catching trout, although, you know, it's maybe a close third or fourth. 
But, you know, I am worshipping the God who created the trout, who created that river, who created, you know, the environment in which we live. The second one are those who are sensates. And loving God with the senses. And their catch fry is, let me experience. You know, they don't just want to be kind of like um, seeing it, but they want to experience it. And I thought of Peter, you know, walking on the water in Matthew chapter 14. And there's a storm, right? And they're afraid. So it must have been a decent storm for seasoned fishermen to be afraid. And, um, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And they think he's a ghost. And uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, step out of the boat. And Peter thinks to himself, I'm, I'm, right, I'm right for this, you know, I'm into new experiences. And he steps out of the boat and he takes his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? He starts to sink. And in that moment, he cries out, help me, Lord. And Jesus takes hold of his hand. And in that moment, he knows that Jesus is real. You know, if you're wired in this way, it's when you kind of, I talk about doing life scared. Um, I went for a, um, an airplane flight recently. I've always wanted to learn to fly ever since I jumped off the chookhouse roof when I was four. Didn't go well. <laughs> when I turned 65, I still wanted to learn to fly, so Gillian said, well, if you want to learn to fly, go and do it, but I'm not paying for it. <laughs> so um, it's going to be a long, slow process, right? And one of the things you have to learn to do is deliberately stall an aeroplane. So you go higher and higher and higher. You wait till it starts to vibrate and you hear this noise. And I'm thinking to myself, why would I want to do this? And in that moment, Jesus never seemed closer to me. You know, it's like, well, either we recover the stall or we're going to heaven. But either way, it's a good thing, right? For me, not so good for Gillian, perhaps. Now, if you're wired this way, you don't necessarily need to do that. But what does it look like to step out of your comfort zone in a way, a way that you can actually experience something of what you're doing? Um, Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3, he experienced the lightning and the, and the thunder and the fantastic creatures and the colors and the magnificent throne of, of sapphire. And he was asked to eat a scroll that tastes like honey. And as he did that, he experienced something of the goodness and the majesty and the wonder of God. If you're wired in this way, you might want to do things like maybe, um, you know, you, you kind of things that you want God to overcome in your life, you might write them out on a piece of paper and then you might burn that piece of paper. You might be thinking of Jesus on the cross and you might want to hold a six-inch nail to remind yourself of what it was like for Jesus on the cross. You're praying for a person and you might like to have a picture of the person so it makes it tangible for you. Something that helps you to connect with your environment might be good for you to experience. Remember, imagine the Old Testament tabernacle with all the smells and the sights and the different tapestries and fabrics. We, we kind of do that in a New Testament context with smoke machines and LED lights and music. And we're not to worship any of those things, but they create an atmosphere, if you're wired this way, that you can connect with Jesus. The third area is the traditionalists. They love ritual and symbol, and their catch cry is, let me remember. Now, we don't worship symbols or rituals. But if you're wired in this kind of way, it may just help you to connect with God. Think of Moses. You know, when Moses saw God's goodness and faithfulness, and, and in the Old Testament they saw good, God's goodness and faithfulness, often they would build an altar. They'd build an altar so that when subsequent generations came past, they would remember, we remember when our forefathers were here and Yahweh delivered us. And they would remember God's goodness and faithfulness. 
And in New Testament context, we have water baptism, we have communion, like we celebrated. Didn't Sarah do well this morning? You know, and um, she pointed us to Jesus. And in that moment, we remembered again what Jesus has done on the cross for us. If you're wired in this way, it's important. You know, they used to have um, churches. It's amazing, isn't it, to go into a church, especially in the United Kingdom, and you stand there and you think, people have worshipped Jesus for a thousand years here. Incredible. And you see the stained glass windows. And you have to remember that back, you know, in the, in the early, I don't know, sort of 1100s, 1200s, whatever it was, people couldn't read and write. So they saw the gospel portrayed in those windows and it reminded them of God's goodness and God's faithfulness in their lives. So what does that look like for you? Maybe you have an Advent calendar that reminds you of the 25 days until Christmas. Our Advent calendars for our kids never had chocolates in them. They were wounded for life. You know, so I noticed that their kids' Advent calendars have all got chocolates in them. But you know, they're just reminding that we're going to celebrate Jesus' birth. 40 days before Easter, Lent, Maybe you fast a meal once a day just to remind you of the sacrifice that Jesus made. A small sacrifice you're making to remember a huge sacrifice that Jesus made. But it's not a ritual that's empty. It points us to a living Savior. And for people that are wired in this way, this can be really helpful for them. At Pentecost, we remember that God came and filled us with his Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, maybe we remember again that this was the birthday of the church Maybe we get the church a cake. Oh, I think I'm speaking prophetically now with some candles and we light them. I think it's a carrot cake. I can't be sure about that, but it's got vegetables in it, so it could be. And uh, we remember God's goodness and faithfulness to, to us. Maybe you're an ascetic. Ascetics love living in solitude and simplicity, and their heart cry is, let, us, let me be alone. You know, Jesus spent 40 days in solitude on his own, didn't he, in Mark chapter 4. Mark tells us before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place in Mark chapter 1. And Gary Thomas talks about solitude and simplicity and discipline as being hallmarks of people that are wired in this way. Solitude, taking time just to be on your own in a way that recharges you. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in a place on your own. But just find time on your own. I remember as a parent, when you've got young kids, it was bliss when they went to bed at night. It's like, you used to get them in bed at 7 o'clock. Does it have to be half past 7? You're tired, you know, because that time was so precious if you're a parent, isn't it? When your kids are in bed or early in the morning before they get up. Mind you, with little kids, it has to be really in the early in the morning before they get up. Don't know if any of you online have got little kids. And, um, and that would be a precious time because it was a time of solitude. A time to connect with God before the, the rest of the, of the day rushed in. Parents have been known with toddlers to lock themselves in the toilet, right? Because it's the only place where you can get peace and quiet and a chance just to connect with God and, and connect with your thoughts. Simplicity is important. Susanna Wesley, who was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, she used to sit and uh, she used to connect with Jesus. She used to put her apron over her head. And she had trained her children. She had a lot of children, didn't she? I'm not sure how many she had. I want to say a dozen, but it was quite a lot anyway. And, and her children learnt that when mama's got an apron over her head, you don't mess with mama because she's connecting with Jesus. And she found a, a simplicity in that in the midst of her busyness that she could connect with Jesus. I remember Gillian, 
when we had little kids, I used to say to her, it's taking an awful long time to put the washing on the line because the washing on the line was a chance to connect with Jesus and pray. And that was the only place. And Dad was looking after the kids, so it's got to be a good thing, eh? So, um, so that's good. Discipline. You know, perhaps getting up early in the morning to pray one day a week. And then if you're like me, having a nana nap in the afternoon because, you know, can't miss out on your beauty sleep. But what does that look like for you to actually be able to do that? Or to fast one meal a week and to use that time to connect with God in a special way. Um, the Benedictine monks used to talk about work as being a discipline. And they used to say that the tools of the monastery were like vessels on the altar. How in the midst of your work can you connect with Jesus, what does that look like for you? So think about that and harness that. If you're connected in that kind of way, someone who is a bit of an ascetic, you love solitude and simplicity, and your heart's cry is, let me be alone. The, the fifth one, and this might have to be the last one, are the activists. Loving God through con confrontation, and their heart cry is, let me conquer. Um, we see activists in the Bible, such as Moses with the Pharaoh of Egypt, um, the prophets of Baal, and we see, um, we see there Elijah confronting Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And at that time, Yahweh really became alive for them, that situation. You know, Elijah's there, taunting the prophets of Baal, saying, you know, pour water on our sacrifice. No, that's not more. And then called to Yahweh, and not only was the water uh, consumed and, and the sacrifice consumed, but the very stones of the altar consumed as well. And in that moment, Yahweh was really alive. Jesus cleansing the temple in the book of Acts. You know, when people are uh, confronted with injustice and human sinfulness, in that moment, often their relationship with God becomes most alive to them if you're wired in this kind of way. Charles Finney was a revivalist in the United States in 1825, and he refused to baptize Christians who supported slavery. Because he understood that. You know, he was an activist. activist. Um, Christian churches often led the way in fighting the evils of abortion, racism, AIDS, poverty, sexual slavery, child pornography. And if you're wired in that way, when you're championing one of these causes that you feel is really robbing men and women, young people and children, their destiny in God, that's when God comes alive for you. So you need to harness that in your prayer. I believe, um, just as we kind of are rounding this out, and I'll, I'll go through the rest of them just in highlights, but I felt prophetically this morning that some of you are wired in this way, and God's calling you to stand in the gap for some people this morning that are under attack. And the picture that I had, I wish I had a staff here, the picture I had was of Gandalf. You know, when he, when he takes that staff, and he puts it into the ground, and he says, you shall not pass. Do you remember that? Yeah, homework, watch Lord of the Rings and not sure what episode, whatever, to, to do that. But if you're wired in this way, I just see you doing that for family, friends, neighbors, yeah. grandchildren, that you're standing in the gap. And I just felt we should do that prophetically if the Holy Spirit brings someone to mind just as we begin to wind this up. If we can have our skilled keyboard player, that would be fantastic. Thank you, Josh. Whether you're in the room or online this morning, Lord, we bring you people that you want us to stand in the gap for this morning. Those for whom the enemy is coming to kill, to rob, to steal, and destroy. We see how they're being mucked around. We see how their destiny is being clouded. And there's just a righteous indignation that rises up within us. And Lord, prophetically, we say enough is enough. 
Lord, we pray for your prophetic plans and purposes to be established on their lives, whether it's in this room, whether it's online this morning. And we declare that God, you have said, it is finished on the cross, that every principality and power will be broken over their lives, that they will come to freedom, that they will live life and life in all of its fullness as you have planned and purposed in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And if you're wired in that way, allow the Holy Spirit to bring those things that stir you and you feel passionate about and pray into those and God will come alive. Just to quickly go through the others. Number six is caregivers. These talk about loving God by loving others. Let me care. Mother Teresa was like that. When she looked into the lost and the broken, she saw the eyes of Jesus. And that was life-giving for her. Some of you will be wired like that. So utilize that. I think of that scripture in Philippians, which says, you know, when people were lost and lonely and hurt, if we didn't help them, then we really have missed out on helping Jesus in those situations. Number seven, the enthusiasts. They love mystery and celebration. And their catch cry is, let me celebrate. And for these pe people, especially dreams, allow God to give you dreams, that divine imagination. You know, dreams are always, they're either human dreams, godly dreams, or demonic dreams. You need wisdom sometimes to work out which is which. But allow God to give you dreams and act on those. A faith and expectancy. Pray that God will give you divine appointments. God will bring strangers across your path that you'll be able to share something of your story and God's story. God will bring people that you can pray for and believe the power of God will encounter their lives. That'll be life-giving for you if you're wired up that way. Number eight, couple more we're done, are contemplatives. Loving God through adoration. Let me feel. The psalmist talks about that in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this dry and weary land. He's wanting to feel, you know, the presence of God. And if you're wired in that way, you'll love doing like secret acts of kindness. Just to do something, just to bless someone. Just to share something of the love and the goodness of God. Just because you can. If you're wired that way, that will be life-giving for you. And you can pray into that, that God will use those random acts of kindness to actually lead people on a journey of faith. And lastly, if you're an intellectual, please don't leave your brains at the door of the church. Bring them in with you, because God loves the mind, the soul, the body, and the spirit. And you'll come alive when you discover new things. You know, things from God's Word that you've never seen before. Aspects of God's character and nature that you've never seen before. And that'll be life-giving for you as you bring those to the place of prayer. So use those. You know, it's not your IQ that's important. It's grasping the new insights and the increased comprehension that God gives you. And you think of King Solomon. There was no one wiser in the world than King Solomon. People came from the ends of the earth not only to hear about his relationship with God, but in all areas of life, he brought the wisdom of God. And God will use that. I love Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Don't despise wisdom and discipline. Bring that to the place of prayer. Lastly, there's a, um, a link here which you can get from me later, or you can try and take a screenshot of that. We did try a QR code, but it didn't work. Um, but you can find, you'll find them in Gary Thomas's book. Each chapter has questions 
on these nine pathways and then you can add them up and just see. Often it can be a mixture of more than one. Or you can go to this gatewaychurch.com, Sacred Pathways Assessment, and you can do it there. I'd love to pray. Lord, I thank you that we're all incredibly and intricately made. And Lord, I thank you for the way you've wired us. For some, it, like me, it's just a love of creation. For others, it's a passion to care for people. For others, they want to see and experience things. They don't want to watch from the outside, but they want to be really involved. So some, they're championing the cause of the gospel. And they're going to see the kingdom of darkness brought down and the kingdom of light established. Lord, whatever it is, Father, I pray in my life and our lives, you'll continue to lead us on this journey.